Hey, this is episode number 42 of Future Chat. I can't believe we made it to the answer to the life, universe, and everything episode. <laughs> I really can't believe it, but here we are. How are you doing, Nick? Um, I'm upset, Rob. What happened? Well, our dear friend Mike, my friend, your cousin, yep. appears to have been attacked by a bear. That's true. That did happen. Uh, it ha- we actually got word of it this morning yeah. that he was attacked by a bear. And uh, apparently, well, it, it sounds like, you know, he should be better by the time we get back to this. But uh, his vocal cords are not in podcasting shape. Yeah, well, it's weird that they, I guess the bears are have been trained through nature and that the best place to attack a human is right at the jugular. And so he got his vocal cords just scratched all up by that. Bear. It, what is, was it a scratch? Cause I thought the bears were just going for like a ninja style throat punch and like, Oh, it's disabled temporarily. The, 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 some of those bears, they're smarter than the average bear. You got to watch the, your, the Alberta bears really seem to be different than the Ontario ones. You got to watch your picnic baskets. <laughs> I, well, no, that's the other thing. Apparently, it's the same bear that came after Carolyn and I. Yeah. Well, no, because uh, longtime viewers of this show, like very long time, this is about six months ago, Carolyn was attacked by a bear. And in the same week, you turned into a bear. <laughs> I'm glad you said that as I was sipping coffee. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't do a spit take. Right. Oh, that would have been uh, that would have been great radio. Oh, absolutely. Did you hear anyways, the spit yes. take and then I'd short out the mic and <laughs> yes. Yeah, that'd be great. Mike will not be joining us this week, but <laughs> he will be back in the new year, which leads me to uh, uh, our first piece of follow-up, which is that this is our last episode of 2014. <sighs> We're going to be taking a couple weeks off for Christmas, and so this is it for the year. How do you feel about that? Um, as it turns out, I apparently have complicated feelings about Christmas. Some would describe me as grinchy. Okay. I would say I'm a Christmas agnostic. I don't dislike it, but I have no particular strong feelings towards it. I don't know. Here's my, I'll just jump right into it because sure. we're on topic. On this yeah. topic, anyway. Not any of the topics we wanted to talk about, but I digress. Not as yet. I always well, do. the topic of this being last week, that's close yeah. enough. Um, so it all started when I started, or well, my cousin is a minister, and a good friend of ours is also well versed in theology. And when I found out that Jesus wasn't actually born, around December 25th, that's when it just, I decided, no, this is, this is stupid. I don't like it. The whole reason that we as North American society celebrate Christmas is that allegedly is the birth of Christ. And I mean, the only reason that they put it around there, as I understand it, is that, uh, it matched up well with the pagan celebration of the winter solstice. 
which turned this into the Roman celebration of Saturnalia and then Christianity took hold over Western Europe and then, you know, the Americas when that got colonized. And now we, now they're like, oh, hey, well, we also have a celebration around that time. Why not join in, guys? And so all the pagans were like, yeah, sure, that sounds all right. But yeah, so now I just, I look at Christmas and I'm like, what, what's the point other than historical precedents? Yeah. And presents, which again, have nothing to do with actual Christmas. Yeah. No, the birth of Christ. Why? I, I, I don't get it. Like there's a lot of stuff, you know, the season's all about giving and feeling good about making other people happy. It's like, you can kind of relate that to Christ, but I think you're reaching just a little bit just enough that it it makes me question it at least so i mean i'm all for celebrating the winter solstice because this whole darkness thing just sucks and i think it's december the 20th or the 21st that's when the days start getting longer and i am all about celebrating that like the traditional pagan celebrations where you would gather around at night and light bonfires to remind you know the sun that well, I don't know, the sun god or just the sun itself that, oh, hey, in the midst of all this darkness, we're still down here. Would you please come back? Because we kind of need you. We like you a lot. And then the sun was like, oh, well, you know, they did light a bunch of bonfires and I had forgotten that they were down there. But, you know, maybe I'll come back now. (laughs) And it worked every year. So they kept doing it. So maybe my misattribute, misattributing misattributing attributing anyway i think is better i might not be correctly attributing where i found out about that and i might be wrong but i don't know apparently he was actually from what i've heard he was actually born closer to like june july so all the people celebrating christmas in july apparently they have the right idea interesting so everyone in the southern hemisphere Wait, who celebrates Christmas in July? I'm thinking of winter. <laughs> what are, that made so much sense, but who celebrates Christmas in July? Is that a thing? <laughs> no. Yeah, I made a mistake, but I really want to know. Um, no, it's it's like uh, people that, well, like our families, perhaps they uh, they can't necessarily get together at Christmas. But it's easier to do when everyone has their summer vacation. So they yeah. just all get get together in like June or July. Apparently Christmas in July is a thing that many people practice. Especially when the families are spread out. Okay, but it has nothing to do with actually Jesus allegedly being born in July. That's just when they choose to celebrate it because it's what it's cheaper, it's easier to get everyone together. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they'll do their Christmas gift exchange, maybe have a nice meal. Okay. I I mean, that's lovely. Yeah. I'm all for holiday meals. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Having just said all this, I'm like, man, I hope I haven't wildly offended people. I, who would be offended? Like, I understand people are easily offended, but what would they be offended by? I don't think you said anything offensive. Neither do I, but I worry. (laughs) 
You know what they say though? Controversy breeds uh, success. Is that a, is that a thing people say? I know that you people say tend that to, now. I don't. People tend to enjoy entertainment more when it's controversial, or at least they'll talk about it more. Sure. We're taking a very unpopular stance on Christmas. I guess so. <laughs> Nobody wants to say don't celebrate Christmas. And I don't think that's what we're saying either. We're just saying maybe it's not necessarily factually accurate with history. That sounds about right. I don't know. It's all just a lot of our holidays are apparently based on pagan holidays. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're they're appropriated by major religions and we end up because i guess they had like the major religion major celebrations at the like quarter marks throughout the year yeah and and some more minor ones at the midpoints between those so they had eight celebrations a year which perfectly spaced out makes a lot of sense but like one of them's around valentine's day and one of them's around easter etc etc yeah yeah, it makes it makes complete sense to me. Hmm. So future it's obvious chat. to me that this episode, because Mike isn't here, because we're I'm monitoring myself for the first time, it's just going to be completely off the rails. But we'll try to pull it back to reality every once in a while. We are we are down to one co-host. Yes, one one host and one senior contributor. Oh, sweet merciful Jesus, what will we do? <laughs> Uh, so on to the next piece of follow-up. This is the last episode of the year. And I also wanted to point out that there's going to be a slight clerical change in the format of the podcast, like starting in the new year. So people who have been watching or listening to the show for since the beginning know that it used to be just called Future Tech Chat, and we only talked about technology. And then about early summer, we added, we alternated weeks between technology and science, called Future Sci Chat and Future Tech Chat. And at that time, I set up a feed that just had both. Just every week, the podcast would come through, and it was just called Future Chat. And now the show has evolved to simply be called Future Chat, and so the, that feed is literally the, technically the official feed now. And so I just wanted to say that over the holidays, I'm going to be feeding the Future Side Chat and the Future Tech Chat feeds, which people are subscribed to into the main future chat feeds. You're just going to be getting an episode every week like you have been for the last three weeks. And uh, so I wanted to say, if you don't want this, if you don't want to be subscribed anymore, this is your chance in the new year to evaluate your future chatting needs and unsubscribe if you don't want to listen because otherwise you're automatically going to be fed into the future chat stream and you're just going to get a show every week. Are we okay with that internet? If we're not, please let me know. There will be so uh, many New Year's resolutions where they're like, oh, God, I can't take this anymore. I just it's got to (laughs) stop. I like to think the first 10 minutes of of a good show should just be not on topic or on sort of extraneous topics relating to the show. Sure. (laughs) All right. So moving on from that, let's go to actual feedback about science and technology. I found an article here. We had talked last week and maybe also a couple of weeks ago about induction charging. No, it was just last week. Mm. Uh, We were discussing whether or not it would cook your phone or charge it. (laughs) And you guys were laughing at me because I was talking about long range induction charging. And so I saw an article here that uh, 
it it really is a thing. Like it, I'll put a link to it in the in the show notes. But there, it's basically it's not quite like Wi-Fi because it's shorter range. It's about three to six feet, but it's it's wireless charging that works wirelessly over a short distance. You don't have to be necessarily right on top of the pad, the charging pad, like in most modern wireless tech. So does that make you? feel any better about this? What are we defining as long range exactly? Well, I mean, it's long range for wireless charging. So it's about three to six feet right now. And it gives you okay. the same, the same power as the pads currently do. Cause I was going to say Tesla himself had grander ambitions for long distance induction. What yes, was he did? He was like, and I, <laughs> he was like pulling a couple Watts over the scale of, kilometers or miles or something like that yeah you were scoffing at at nikola tesla's plans and i couldn't tell if you were being sarcastic or not but i was definitely not no i mean they were great plans and he was a brilliant brilliant man but that like the whole thing with his funding where he was being paid to do something else and then he was like by the way i'm just doing long distance induction or something to that effect, wireless, wireless power. And yeah. so, you know, his funding people would come back and be like, so what do you have for me? He's like, nothing that you asked for, but check this out. <laughs> that would have made me so happy, though, if I was the funder. I was like, wow, I asked you for this stupid traditional thing and you came up with this awesome other thing. Well, yeah, but you're not a businessman. I know. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm a scientist. Yeah, like if he was, if they had uh, NSERC, or did they have the National Science Foundation at the That's time? That's a good question. I don't know. I doubt like it. If yeah. he was just going off that kind of stuff, I'm I'm sure they would be thrilled. But uh, business people less so. Okay, the NSF was founded in 1950, so I don't think so. Mm. Sounds about I don't right. I actually know when Tesla died, but I assume it was around then or shortly before because he's pretty modern right but he's not uh not recent <laughs> you know who will know this google uh 10th of july 1856 to the 7th of january 1943 yeah so seven years after he died the nsf was found founded mm. that makes sense yeah it, so it sounds like it was founded because he died they needed to fill that gap in crazy science experiments. Yeah. Humanity's technical knowledge has fallen so far now that Tesla is dead that we should create a foundation to uh, pick up the slack. Yeah. And that's worked pretty well so far. The NSF has done great stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. The fact that I was <laughs> able to Google that is at least in part due to the NSF. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's also some, uh Yeah some other organizations involved in the founding of the internet details. But I'm sure they played a, at least a small part <laughs> <laughs> On to the next uh, piece of follow-up. I wanted to, there's just a minor clerical error. I was incorrect in say, in making the direct comparison to YouTube views and IP addresses because IP addresses are not, there are no negative IP addresses. And so they're actually 4.2 billion IP addresses in IPv4. That, were, that have been used up as opposed to last week I said there were 2.1 billion and uh, I also said there was sextillions of 
uh, YouTube views that were possible now, but it's actually quintillions, 18 quintillion to be specific. Damn it, Rob. But uh, I was only off by what? Two or three orders of magnitude. I think, I think that's pretty three, close. Three orders of magnitude. Three orders of magnitude out of 18. I guess that's, <laughs> that seems reasonable. You could have done better, Rob. I will do better next time. But on the topic of being able to do better, apparently with crystalline silicon cells, they can hit like the highest number I'm seeing now is 27% efficiency. And with multi-junction cells, they're getting up to like 44, 45%. And so I too was wrong. That's, that's actually impressive. I'm really curious to see, you know, how high in efficiency that can actually get. Yeah. We should, uh, we should just make this a running thing where we keep learning more and more about light every week, like solar cells. Because now I'm thinking, is it, is it taking in up to 40% of incident light or is it only incident light of a specific frequency? Like that it was designed to take in, like, would it take in 40% of 300 nanometer light or is it three, 40% of all the light that hits it? We don't have to follow up now. I just, <laughs> I think we should keep this going. Learn Man, a little but bit now I'm bit. curious. Okay. We put that in the notes. We need to follow up on, follow up on that too. Okay. Done. That's, that's great. <laughs> you want to talk a bit about beer while I'm doing that? Yeah. Um, Reddit has a subreddit called today. I effed up and they do this guy wanted to brew a beer with like spruce needles or pine needles and turns out what's up, Rob. Oh, I just think that's funny. <laughs> I didn't read that one. I, I keep up with a few, okay. but okay. Um, I didn't read this one. Just remember I said that because that's a separate note. Um, okay. But he ended up picking the needles from something that isn't a pine or spruce tree. It's actually a poisonous tree that looks like pine or spruce. (laughs) And did not go so well for him. He ended up having a date in the hospital. Like his, the person he was dating came to see him and they hung out. But he had like half a wine glass of like non-carbonated beer. And his like face started going numb he was like uh oh <laughs> and uh, so we discussed the bavarian purity laws at one point we did where you're only allowed to put barley hops and water into beer yeah and uh that is and one yeast. of the reasons that well they didn't know about yeast in 1516 okay so that's why enough. it's not included in the purity laws but so that's one of the reasons that the Bavarian purity laws exist was because beer was so important because it was the only source of safe drinking water. Um, and people were putting weird hallucinogen hallucinogens and other <laughs> weird stuff in it. And people were getting sick off of this thing that people needed to live. And so they were like, okay, no, not anymore. From now on, you can use right. these three things. Now they accept four because Pastor came along. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And so I was like, yeah, exhibit A. That is why those exist. That's pretty fantastic, actually. 
I must say. Although, um, it's interesting because I have, uh, I have had a Scott's pine ale because they have a, at the LCBO anyway, they used to have a little tasters pack. It would have like four historic beers of Scotland. And instead of hops, they'll use like Heather or, uh, Scott's pine is one of them. And the Scott's pine is meant to be enjoyed at room temperature. And it is so good. And now that I have beer brewing equipment, I really want to make some. It's it's almost minty. And apparently in the Americas, uh, when people got here and needed to make beer, because how else are you going to live? Uh, instead of hops, they used just the young pine needles in the spring. So the little green shoots that come out, they'd clip those off and use those in beer. And apparently yeah. that's how they got their vitamin C. Hmm. I like that. I, Stave I off really scurvy like that a lot. with yeah. beer. Yeah, that was a that was a really big thing, especially for seafaring folk at the time. Yeah. Did they know it was curing scurvy? Did they know that it was vitamin C at the time? Do you know? Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I would have to imagine that they did, or they were just like, "Oh, we're drinking this, and now we're healthy." So <laughs> there must be something good in this. <laughs> humans do that a lot throughout history well i mean there are a lot of old recipes and stuff like that where it's just like they couldn't have possibly known about complete protein and stuff like that but they just put these meals together that happen to have complete protein and a wide nutritional base and it's like it worked out but probably because the people that came up with those recipes were more likely to survive and pass on those recipes. And then the civilization adopted them because they worked well. And it's interesting. Yeah. It's also funny how sometimes humanity doesn't learn its lesson. There was, I think this is from cosmos, the episode they did on lead. They were talking about how like several times throughout human history, we have discovered that lead is just absolutely terrible for the human body. And so we keep, completely banning it and stopping using it, but then we'll start again. And most recently this happened in the 20th century with, with leaded gasoline. It just started causing all kinds of horrible health effects. And uh, now it's banned again from gasoline, but who knows if it'll come around again. Yeah. Um, Oh, there's, I don't know. Humanity has problems with that. Like, I think there's also this old, it was a Roman town or something like that. It was down way down South on the sea and tsunamis buried it like three or four times. And so archeologists went back and started digging and they found like four or five civilizations because a bunch of people had been like, Hey, look, this place is completely uninhabited and beautiful. And they just got wiped out every time. You said this was in, in south of the UK? No, uh, south of Rome. Oh, or, south of Rome. Or in, I guess, southern Europe somewhere. There was a tsunami in the Mediterranean? So That's maybe what you're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm curious because maybe there is. Maybe no, maybe I'm wrong about often, the location. But... It was it was a crack.com article. Okay. It could have been like the South Pacific or something. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to follow up on that too. Or maybe it was landslides. I don't know. 
okay, you'll need to follow up on this and get back to me. Clearly. <laughs> Any other follow up? Um, Intelligence Squared US. Uh, great podcast. Highly recommend it. They do Oxford style debating. And they did an episode called uh, the proposed motion was genetically modify food. And the way it works is they don't pick a winner based on who agrees the most, but rather how many minds have been changed. Okay. So when they pull people before the debate and after the, after the debate. And so when they pulled before, it was almost a perfect statistical distribution of, uh, don't do it do it and undecided it was like 33 33 33 almost perfectly it was beautiful okay wow and then at the end of the debate it was almost 100 percent conversion of the undecided to the motion genetically modify our food <laughs> no i don't like to hear that that means that you didn't change any minds ah <laughs> uh. No, but it means that the other people are making, or I think, uh, you know what? I have the link here. Yeah. I will check. The, the no, I'm just list. saying there've been a lot of, there are a lot of psychological studies recently that have found that it's nearly impossible to change someone's mind on something they firmly believe in. And that just absolutely lends itself to that fact. They didn't change. Like everyone that was undecided was like, wow, a great argument. I totally am on the side of genetically modified food. And everyone that didn't, like didn't want mod genetically modified food completely disagreed with that and went with the thing they believed originally. Well, I mean, okay, let's see here. Oh, you're not going to like this. So before it was 32% for the motion, 30% against and 38 undecided after mm -hmm. the debate, it was 60% for 31% against and 9% undecided. So yeah. the against picked up one percentage point. Interesting. So one percent or not one percent, I guess, but like 10 percent of people are still undecided. They won. But I feel I don't I'm happy with that because I feel like the majority of people, if they're presented with good information, will make good choices. Yeah. And so in that case, you had a bunch of people that were like, I honestly just don't know. And I'm keeping an open mind about it. And they were presented with good information, experts on both sides. It was really good. And they made what I felt was the right decision. Yeah. And, and so the people that in before were for genetically modifying food stayed for the people that were undecided overwhelmingly went on the side of genetically modified food and the people that were against it just vehemently stayed against it. And, well, in fairness, we don't know how that conversion breaks down. I know, but, but the, it seems like wrong implications is that that's what happened. Well, and there's, there's a quote that I like and I forget who it's from, but it has, it's something to the effect of you cannot teach someone something that they think they already know. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard that many times and it's yeah. so true. Unfortunately. Yeah. Confirmation bias is in fact a thing. Yeah. 
you hear a debate and it has two sides, you're going to, and you already have one of the sides in your mind, you're probably going to stick with it. And unless you're open to new things on that note, um, there's a CBC program called the 180 and they okay. like to present opposing sides of an argument in, you know, contemporary society. And they did one not long ago on nuclear waste. And so, you know, they said, so last week we talked about, uh, nuclear power versus wind power or something like that. I didn't actually listen to that episode, but they're like, a lot of people brought up the issue of nuclear waste. And I was like, huh, my old supervisor would be excellent to contact about that. And lo and behold, they had called him and asked him for a comment. And I can send you the episode because I don't know. He's got that Northern England accent. It's quite pleasant to listen to. Okay. I do Uh, like podcasts. Yeah, it's great. It's actually located in Calgary. We can talk about that on another one of our programs. Um, (laughs) But so they, they get Dave on and Dave has been studying the issue of nuclear waste for the last 50 years almost. Okay. And so they're saying, you know, well, what is the risk to society? And he's like, well, right now, next to none, because like any containment site it's at, the radiation is such that you can walk up to the edge of whatever the container is and touch it and you will be fine. So that's the concrete containers outside, like the Darlington plants or the uh, water containment units for the hot fuel. And so then they, you know, asked for comments from other people and they're like, you know, one guy said, I have seen no scientific or technical evidence that, you know, things will be okay in 50,000 to a hundred thousand to a million years. And that's the kind of information I want to see. And I went, well, I'm almost certain that they asked Dave about that or they called Dave before they called that other guy. Right. Because I have sat in on the presentations where they talk about the safety of proposed nuclear waste containers in 50,000 to a hundred thousand to geological time scales. And they're fine. Um, I think the chances are like one in it's like 10 to the nine years or something like that, that you will get a failure, but okay. And that's a failure of the container. Yeah. But I mean the, okay. the important thing to remember is that's one chance in the age of the universe or something like that. Yeah. Like they, they made it such that, you know, if you let this container sit for the age of the known universe, then it will like one might fail. Right. And that's, that's more, it's, it's a simulation result. So it's more to do with, you know, the distribution of corrosion. So I think that's in the one extremely remote case that you get every single ounce of possible attack on one tiny spot and that will destroy it. But right. You know, the long and short is that it's probably okay, but you know, a one-sided debate doesn't make for entertaining radio. No, it doesn't. So like, you know, 
the questions I was, I heard from my peers was like, did, who did they talk to about that? Because it's like, there is research going on in that area and it's the job of some of these people to ensure that it's going to be okay for geological time scales. Anything else you want to say on nuclear waste? Uh, not really. Should be fine. Okay. But we have, you mean that literally and should be fine. Brightest. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. It's, it's impressive because we have some of the best minds in the world on the project in Ontario. And so yeah. uh, it should be okay. There, there are going to be a lot more deaths from nuclear accidents for other reasons than there are going to be for the containers failing. Yeah. It seems to me. That is the long and short of it. Yeah. That's the least of the worries. Not the least, but one of the very least of the worries. And I mean, they're, they've even, the current disposal scheme that they're working with for Ontario is uh, like even assuming, like they're, they just assume that, you know, probably one of these is going to fail. But if the container fails, how do we stop it from getting out, like out right. and into the environment? And they even have barriers past the nuclear container that will stop uranium from getting out, like the really high level or the really bad waste. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it just, I don't know, I'm... I've never felt better about it than I do now having learned what the actual disposal scheme is. So basically what you're saying is even if you go right up to the the container, there's like a one in a lifetime of the universe chance of actually, about actually breaking out, but that's not the only safeguard. There are other safeguards in place as well. Even if that does happen. Yeah. Yeah, then there's no so like, need to worry. You know, but I mean, they they assume that a couple are going to break just because from machining and stuff like that, there's yeah. bound to be an error in some weld somewhere or something like that. Yep. But, and, and so they've even said, like, in the event that this does happen, if this certainly does happen, we are encasing it in bentonite clay with or a clay head cap and a concrete sarcophagus or something like that. And just, it's just really good. Okay. It's a really nice scheme they've got going. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear they're worrying about our safety. Yeah. Well, more so yours than mine right now. True. Very true. Should we get to the actual show? The actual new stuff we haven't talked about already. Is this the show? <laughs> I, I think that you have some actual, some more interesting stuff here than I do. I want to start with one of the things you put in here about uh, Watson entering public beta. Watson. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really all it is. Like uh, IBM's Watson project. So the software behind it they put a lot of hardware behind them, but the software behind Watson, the jeopardy superstar has entered the public beta. And I'm really impressed with IBM. Like, yeah, 
I'm pretty sure it was one of those, like, in the 70s or something like that, people thought it was the horrible, horrible, huge corporation that was killing the little guy, stuff like that. Yeah. But they've actually gotten a couple really nice projects like Watson and, oh, what's the other one? I, I'm, I want to guess that it's DL Poly. It was like, it was one of the, one of the programs we used for computational chemistry. Like that was just an IBM project that they went, oh, this works pretty well. Let's give it away. Imagine the good that that can come of it. Imagine the good that can come of this. And I don't know. It's just, it's really nice. It's good of them. Yeah. So I'm really interested because ever since Watson appeared on Jeopardy, the potential behind it really sort of started to crystallize for me. And hearing that it's going to be involved in things like medical diagnoses just really make me excited to hear that they're actually going through with applying it to it, it's almost like an instant crowdsourcing without the requirement for a crowd. Yeah. You can feed information into it and, and at a very, very rapid pace, get useful information out. Well, and the, for those that don't know, the whole challenge of Watson is the ability to interpret natural language. So natural language yeah. be being how we're talking right now. Um, and so, you know, that's useful for things like medical diagnoses or, I don't know, that's the go-to. I'm sure there are other applications in interpreting natural language. Maybe with the march of technology, one day I will be ordering a coffee from Watson-based software and I will say, I would like a double espresso long. And it will be like, I got you, Nick. That's great. we like, thanks, Watson-based technology. <laughs> Thank you for making the world a better Watson, place. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, can you can you imagine if Siri had the power of Watson? That would be amazing. And honestly, uh, Siri gets a lot of flack from people. It is extremely powerful if you know how to use it. And the the deficiency, the biggest difference I see between a technology like Siri and a technology like Watson, other than the fact that there's a massive massive database of information behind watson and siri has a limited number of sources is that people don't know how to use siri so the fact that it is not as good at natural language processing as watson is its biggest drawback so people don't use it because they end up getting frustrated if that it doesn't understand siri doesn't understand what they're saying but I have a like 95%, 97% success rate with Siri because I know how to ask questions or, yeah. or how to put things in a way that it knows how to interpret. Um, well, yeah, like, and I have the same thing with Google. Like, yeah, well, I call her Googleina. There's a story behind <laughs> that. But uh, so oh, words are hard. Um, so when I'm using it, I mean, I only, I try and limit my speech to the patterns that I know that they should recognize. Okay. So I don't say like Siri or I don't say Googleina, take me home. I say navigate to home because 
I know it knows what home is because I've put that into Google Maps. Yeah. And I know it understands the phrase navigate to or maps to or something like that. Right. Yeah. The, I think that's one of the places where Siri is further ahead than Google now. Yeah. Because I I have full, like 100% confidence that if I say take me home, she will understand what that means. Well, I'm not saying that wouldn't work. I'm just saying. Right. No, no, no I, I don't know, say it. I, I've had that. Like I've, I've used both technologies quite a bit and I've had a lot more success in natural language with Siri. Oh, okay. Like I'll sometimes I'll challenge Siri by using a British accent. She'll right, Siri. <laughs> Set a timer for 12 minutes. <laughs> Apparently, I think it was the Scottish were having real problems with Siri when it first came out. Yeah. Yeah. They've, uh, they've been really slow to release it, only to languages that they know it'll actually work for. Which is probably a good thing, I would argue. Yeah. <laughs> the slow march of technology is, <laughs> is probably the better off. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else on Watson? I'm excited super excited. Future, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for the fact, like, public beta doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's very vague. I'm excited when it'll actually be able to be applied by, I don't know how exactly the, the beta period is going to work or how you actually apply Watson because the, I mean, the beauty of it is that with the internet, you don't have to actually be wherever the Watson hardware is. You can just, because it uses natural language, you can send your language to it. It will process it and send the results back. So there are a lot of, different approaches you could take. And the limiting factor is basically the, the performance of the Watson hardware. Mm. So I assume if it was trying to process, say the medical records of every patient in the U S it would get overwhelmed because there are hundreds of millions of Americans. But uh, the fact that they're starting small, I guess is a good thing because it'll mean that they can test its limits and they can figure out where all the bugs are and, when they actually do release it in whatever capacity they do, it'll be ready for it. Yeah. But I'm pumped. Me too. After watching it destroy everybody on Jeopardy, I'm really <laughs> excited for what it can do. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? Do you want to jump back and forth between our stories or? Yeah, sure. Okay. I, uh, what you got? This is just more of a, this is more of a fluff piece than anything else. I just <laughs> wanted to talk about, I was reading last week, I think at the beginning of the week, that they were TGI Friday's restaurants in the States were launched, or a couple of them were launching a drone program. And so it was sort of like a drone waiter oh. controlled by one of the, the employees. And they had a press event for this. And so they invited some reporters in and they had the, the drone flying around and ended up somehow crashing into a patron, like a, one of the reporters, <laughs> and cutting their face. That's horrible. <laughs> it's it is horrible. Like it ended, it was not a very big cut. It was just like a little nick on the cheek. Oh, uh, are they okay? It was so funny. Yeah, they're they're fine. It was oh, just good. like this is the first thing. This is the first use of this technology. They're even trying to show it off, and it just failed oh. so spectacularly. Well, that's like I don't know. That's that's not unlike Watson. I mean, Watson had uh, times like that where they. Like they asked a question and he just flopped so badly because he had yeah. mis misinterpreted the question. 
in only yeah. a way that a machine could. Yeah, the final Jeopardy, I think in one of the rounds, they picked, it was talking about a U.S. city and an airport in a U.S. city. And then it ended up saying Toronto is the name of the city as the mm-hmm. answer. And it was like, no, Watson, it's in the U.S. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Um, or like the inventor of roller skates, he wanted to impress everyone at a party. And so he rolled out on roller skates, but hadn't thought about brakes. And so he just crashed into a wall at some point because he couldn't stop. And so, makes sense. you know, set roller skates back a few years. That's, a, I mean, there have been more things than just this one accident setting back drone technology. The, the government has been pretty hesitant to approve the use of drones, in, especially in areas like around airports, for instance, or or high up in the sky. But there have been a lot of very visible accidents between drones and commercial aircraft. <gasps> oh, I just watched the Mercer report for this week. Do you watch <laughs> they Mercer? They talk about it? No. They had a drone incident um, for Republic of Doyle. They were on that set. That, that was the okay. episode from December 2nd, but we hadn't watched it yet. Um, and they they were doing an explosive shot so they had like a bomb under a barrel and it was meant to make a big fireball and have the barrel go flying. So they had okay. drones above it and cameras like a GoPro on the ground and a GoPro on, pardon me, on the bucket or barrel okay. rather. And so they showed like from the barrel and how that looked and they showed one from the ground and I saw that there was a drone in the sky and I was like, oh man, that shot's going to look fantastic. And then one of the barrels hit the drone and I was like, <laughs> oh, that shot is going to look amazing. Lo oh, and behold, fantastic. the drone shot looks pretty good. Yeah. It, as long as you cut it before the actual contact. No, they showed it. Uh, they showed the actual contact. We should link to From that. From the actually. perspective of that drone? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> You know, you see it getting closer and closer and closer, and then the world is tumbling. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. But uh, drones are going to face, especially autonomous drones, are going to face pretty big hurdles logistically from the government perspective. Yeah. Well, it's like any new technology that hasn't been previously anticipated. Yeah. It's probably for the best <laughs> that they are going through that. Yeah, growing pains. Um, all right, what's next? Oh, what do I want to talk about next? Talk about the pirate bay. Oh, that was like third on my list. Yeah. The pirate bay is down. Yeah. Although I heard that there was a clone or something that had popped up. Uh, apparently at some point is based on a news report. I read, uh, the pirate bay has, they made a file available that was a backup of the pirate bay. Yep. So it was a directory of all the magnet links they had. Yeah. And so now all you have to do is go into that file, find the magnet link you want, and then type that in and you'll get it. Yeah. And that's of course available as a torrent as well. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) But I mean, I don't know. It seems like, I appreciate that they've gone after the most popular torrenting website as far as I know. Yeah. But I feel like one of the highest trafficked. 
Yeah, I feel like you're. I feel like they're taking on the Hydra, and when they cut off one head, two more are going to grow back. Yeah, that's really all I have to say on it. I'm curious the, to hear uh, your thoughts, though. Yeah. So the news also came out this week that the third and I think final Pirate Bay, uh, I guess, co-founder was arrested. Mm for his crimes with the pirate bay. And uh, so with this, they also seized a bunch of the hard drives and the servers, and that's why they were able to take it down. But he was quoted as saying that he's really, he's glad and he thinks it's fine that it's down. Hmm. Like it's, it has been his pet project and their pet project for years. And he's just like, it's almost a relief. It's over. It's like trying to jump around and having domains oh. hosted in various countries around the world. Like they're literally pirates. They're trying to escape jurisdiction and like that name is just so apt. Yeah. I could see that. But they've also, companies like BitTorrent have been putting a lot of effort into legitimizing torrents because there are a lot of very valid uses for torrents that don't involve copyright infringement. So they've released a product. Sorry? I have used torrents for legitimate purposes. Yeah. Like I've exactly. downloaded Ubuntu that way. I've that, mm -hmm. uh, I forget where we talked about it, but that long video of a Norwegian train going around. <laughs> yeah. That one, I think the that Norwegian government week. made it available via torrent because that's really the best way to do it with a 27 gigabyte filer, however huge it is. Yeah. Especially when you're Norway, especially when you're Norway. I don't know what that means. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, it, it makes sense. Like Scandinavia is, that's where the pirate bay was originally from. Oh, and okay. they're all about the open access and yeah. freedom of information. Well, and I mean, it's, it's a distributed means of, it's a distributed means of distri distribution. Yeah. They, uh, they released a product called BitTorrent Sync, which is similar to Dropbox, but it lets you share files across the internet using torrents. Mm. It use, well, not, not using torrents, but using peer-to-peer -peer technology. Okay. I've been reading that a browser was just released, and I didn't, I didn't actually go and check it out, but somehow it was a peer-to-peer -peer or torrent-based browser, like web browser, and I don't really understand how that works, but I'm kind of curious. And Me neither. I'm going to... Find out more about it, and and I'll report back. Intriguing, yeah. They're taking steps towards legitimizing torrents. They've put up, they've done advertising and put up billboards uh, as a way for it for it to be a distribution method for people that just want their stuff to be seen by as many people as possible as quickly as possible. Yeah, and it's it's a cheap alternative to using actual content distribution networks, things like SoundCloud and and these other methods are really expensive and if you're just starting out it's it can be prohibitively expensive so torrents are a good way to release stuff to the masses well, like future chats are available via torrent they are and i feel like that's great yeah it's not necessarily promoted but we use archive.org and they have presumably they have servers in different locations around the world and they move information around at least in part through peer-to-peer -peer networks so, because you can go and find a torrent file for your for the archived future chats mm -hmm. or any of any music or 
just audio files or video files or books or anything that's hosted there. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. The, the peer to peer I think is the future. And we've, we, when we talked about social media and crisis, we were talking about peer to peer networking Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's almost certainly at least a big part of the communication of the future. Yeah. There's a story here that I just, again, I thought was kind of funny and it has to do with technology. I've known for a while there's Comcast in the U.S. had this program where you could get a slight discount on your service if you allowed your your router at home or your modem. Because I think they use uh, modem routers, all-in-ones. They would basically pay back, pay a part of your service fees if you allowed your network to be to also have a public segment so they would give you a certain amount of bandwidth for your home service and they would give a certain amount of bandwidth to just the public and so they comcast's goal was to generate create this sort of almost like a wide area network where you any comcast customer could just wander around anywhere and they would be on the same comcast network but they Mm -hmm. were using a crowdsourced distribution method of various people's routers Comcast customers around the neighborhood or around the city or wherever you are. And they were talking about doing this for a long time and they've been doing it for at least a year or two. And I was just reading that they've now been sued for doing that because very obviously it's a conflict of interest. Most people I would say are not that technically savvy. And so when you tell them, Oh, we're going to also allow people to publicly access your router, they're just going to think, okay, well, I mean, my service is cheaper for doing this, so I'm going to do it. But they're not thinking of the implications of it means that people are accessing their router. And I think when people realize or are told the actual implications of doing that and the possibility of it being easier to hack you because they're actually connecting to your router to access the internet, that people just aren't aren't happy. And they're, it's very unclear to non-technical people what the implications of opening up opening their routers up to that are and i think that's why this is happening and i think that it was like i saw it coming from a mile away Mm. can you not uh close off access to your home network via router well the the thing is at least i assume in part this is when you subscribe to a lot of internet service providers they'll say oh the cheapest option for you is for us to send you or or come and hook up our modem and router. Mm-hmm. So the the modem that we're using right now is from Rogers. Yeah, they came and hooked it up. I immediately turned off the Rogers routing function, turned it into just a dumb modem, and plugged in my better router. But a lot of people are just going to be hooking up their modem router, the one that Comcast gave them. And they're not going to be turning off those options. They don't know how. They're just someone comes and hooks it up, and it's it's got a public f- feature on it, and they don't know anything about it. And then when they finally find out about it, they go, "Whoa, I didn't I didn't agree to this. I didn't approve of this." And then the lawyers at Comcast go, "Yes, you did. It's right here in the contract." And then they say, "I'm suing you." And then this happens. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I like the idea of the wide area network, though. I love it, but I don't think that customers should be paying to do it. If they want to set up, if they want to give free service to people by setting up routers and people can agree to have this in their homes, I think that's a different thing. Yeah, okay. Like, 
there was an episode of The Simpsons where they were getting paid massive amounts of money to have a cell phone tower coming out of their their house. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. I do. And uh, yeah, it's not something you should be paying for that also happens to benefit the company. It should be something that the company pays you to do. Because you're, uh, you're paying for the service anyways. It's not like you have to be a Comcast customer in order to benefit from this wide area network that they're trying to, or it might not be legal, or, uh, technically a wide area network, but this this city blanketing Wi-Fi network from Comcast. Well, you have I to mean, be a Comcast customer to connect. Yeah, but I don't know. Are they not pay- effectively paying you by providing a discount? Would you like to see a deeper discount? Well, I mean... My my argument against it is not so much from a technical standpoint that it's a bad thing to do. I just think that from from what I've read about it, it wasn't very transparently explained to people who had no oh, technical okay. knowledge of what was happening. Well, that is an issue. Yeah. I think if everyone has complete freedom to it and you can come to a an agreement with the company where you're getting a fair price and you get the service and you're providing this assistance to Comcast in building their network. I think that's really great. Um, But for most people, especially in the States with the whole net neutrality thing going on, the big debate is that most people in the U S only have access to one or at most two different internet service providers. So you have Comcast, you have time Warner, whatever the case may be, but you don't really have any other options. That's you're basically choosing you're you're choosing either some small carrier that that is local and isn't going to give you as good service or you have to go with one of the big guys and you have to agree to whatever their terms are because it's the only thing that's there that's good. Mm. And that's the big debate that's going on in the states right now and to a lesser extent in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Your turn. Oh boy. Uh Well, now I don't know what I want to talk about. Okay. I'm going to talk about this one. Okay. I could, I could write a blog post about either of these actually. Um, Let's pre-write it. Wind turbines. Wind turbines. Okay. It turns out they don't cause wind turbine sickness. This we have established. That's true. What? Yeah. Crazy, right? (laughs) Um, No, they found out that, uh, this was a paper from somewhere. I can't remember exactly, but, uh, they investigated reports of wind turbine sickness versus distribution of, you know, uh, information about wind turbine sickness and discovered that you only get wind turbine sickness where people are told that wind turbine sickness is a thing. So it's a nocebo effect. Yeah. Yep, that makes sense. It's just, hey, did you know these could make you sick? It's like, well, I usually get headaches and I hate wind turbines, so maybe those wind turbines are causing my headaches. <laughs> and so, I mean, even Health Canada has done investigations and they've found that I think it's it's stuff to do with, like, they would have people wear little heart rate monitors and self-report how they're feeling. And it turns out that even on days where the wind turbines near their houses weren't moving or doing anything, 
like they just weren't active because there wasn't enough wind for it. People okay. were still reporting, you know, adverse health effects and like the heart rate monitors and stuff like that weren't, there was no uh, correlation between the heart rates right. and the, or the stress levels and the wind, wind turbine. So health Canada is actively saying, nope, turns out this isn't actually a thing. Much to the chagrin of all the wind turbine detractors who are saying, listen, let's just delay until all the science is in. Because that was a big thing for a while because my hometown where I lived for a year a while ago was surrounded by people that didn't like wind turbines and a bunch of them were saying well let's wait until we investigate this wind turbine sickness thing because because we're pretty confident that's gonna put a halt to these wind turbines but uh so yeah turns out it doesn't appear to be a thing and further like the other rallying cry of the stop wind turbines people is that it will decrease property value because, oh, these horrendous-looking wind turbines are going to drive down the value of property. Yep. Turns out a study has concluded that the wind turbines have little to no impact on property values. Can't you also set up a, a wind turbine on your property to make money? Uh, technically, yes, it depends on like local bylaws. Like if you're out in the country, it's easier, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it also depends on your local geography as to whether you can do it. But yeah, with the microfit program in Ontario, anyway, you can plug in a wind turbine. It seems like, yeah, these people are complaining for the sake of complaining. Maybe people don't like what wind turbines look like or sound like but to say that they're causing any ailments is just a fallacious. lie yeah. yeah fallacious is a better word <laughs> um but yeah no i was happy to see that because i don't know like if all, a lot of the younger people i've talked to have said i don't mind how they look i think they look kind of nice yeah but a lot of the older people are oh, gets ugly and i hate it rah should talk about that on another podcast <laughs> we should just tease here for a moment we should really tease and then we should do something so that we don't have to tease anymore <sighs> yeah southern alberta has tons of windmills like thousands if i'm not mistaken yeah and i love them i have i have read up on that topic so windy <laughs> well i was gonna say that's all a lot of southern alberta has is flat and wind so yeah <laughs> yeah anything else on the wind turbines uh, nope i'm just right. progress yeah <laughs> how about uh we do one more each and then we'll call it a week and we'll call it a year i guess I'm so sad Mike's not here for this. I know. He's not even watching, which is kind of disappointing. Oh. But I guess I get it if he's you better listen in a later. hospital after being mauled by a bear. 
<laughs> After being throat punched. Probably, probably recovering. Yeah. Uh, so my last story of the year uh, is just something I read about, I think it was yesterday. Uh, there's an essay in the Wall Street Journal about the link between saturated fat and fat in general and poor health. Mm. Specifically heart disease, because heart disease is one of the biggest sort of chronic killers of humans in the first world. Yeah. Uh, and this, so this is just it. We've t- we've had we've had a nutrition episode. We had a had a health episode. So we've talked quite a bit about this in the past. But uh, basically, study after study now in the in the modern medical era keeps coming out saying that saturated fat and fat in general is not bad for your health. It's it's very important for your health. In fact. And it turns out that one of the biggest purveyors of information about saturated, the link between saturated fat and heart disease in the middle of the last century was paid for in large part by the companies that were making low fat products. Was that the, uh, it was like the six countries diets or something like that. Uh, Seven countries. Seven countries. Seven countries study. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've I've read and, up on that recently. Yeah, they were talking about... They were talking recently about how in that study, there was a lot of lack of scientific controls that are normally in place. Mm-hmm. And it led to pretty flawed data that left out people that... Like specifically left out people who had diets higher in saturated fat that were fine, that whose health was good. And it sort of lent itself only to saying that fat was bad for you pretty much exclusively. Well, my understanding, sorry, my understanding was that they, uh, they did a broad survey of seven countries and then they said, you know, what are their level of saturated fat intake and what's their overall health like? But, and and, I mean, in the examples they chose, I think like Japan is fairly low in saturated fat intake and they have very excellent health in terms of Western standards. But then like people would throw up counterpoints and be like, oh, what about these people that uh, have very high saturated fat intake and they're just fine? Like I would assume you could talk about Inuit populations there. Yeah. And he was like. Uh, but my study's better. Like just any counterpoint was dismissed in yeah, probably a stellar example of confirmation bias. Right. One of the, the sort of biggest points of this essay is the fact that a company Procter and Gamble who make Crisco, which was first debuted in 1911. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, it was the first vegetable-based fat that was sort of widely accepted. Okay. Uh, and so Procter & Gamble made, they they helped to launch the American Heart Association, the organization that has since said, stop eating saturated fat, you should eat vegetable fats like Crisco. Mm. And uh, so there, in this article here, it says that in 1900, before the release of Crisco, 
nobody ate vegetable oils. Like it was it made up almost no percent of Western diets. And now it's almost 10% of all the calories in our diets are from these fats. And this is over the last century, which has also correlated strongly with a gain in weight. Because if you're, they're not necessarily, they're not trying to say necessarily that vegetable oils are bad for you, but they're saying that saturated fat is not bad for you. And mm -hmm. that there are other reasons than saturated fat or eating fat in general that are causing obesity epidemics that are taking over many countries. And the yeah. Western diet is a big part of that, the, the modern Western diet. Well, and I'm sure there, there are limits to how much butter you should be eating. Right. But uh, I don't know. I will preface this by saying that I am not a physician, but a lot of this stuff I've read has indicated that calories in versus calories out is the single most important factor in weight management and health. And I mean, it's yeah. important that you get your vitamins in there, but it's just, I think too much emphasis is, is placed on the kind of things you're eating. Yeah. And I think Sweden, Sweden or Norway has now taken that and said, actually, you know what? We have been recommending low fat diets for decades based on the evidence, but the evidence has changed and now we're changing our recommendations. Yeah. Which is which great. Is, yeah. It's, it's spectacular. And I would, I would like to see health Canada to take a similar tack. Yeah. To review the evidence and change the recommendations if they need to be changed. Mm-hmm. I'm all about evidence-based practices. Yeah. This isn't news. Like it's not new necessarily, but a lot of people still haven't heard about it or don't know what the most current research shows. Yeah. All right. So is that, are we, are we good for fat and diet? We are. Okay. I also just briefly state that butter plays an integral role in my diet and i'm so happy yes. about it <laughs> butter is fantastic <laughs> um especially i don't know i've started buying lactansia as opposed to no-name butter okay. and if you're frying stuff you can you can drop that in the frying pan and see that lactansia just has so much less water content it's beautiful highly recommend this experimenting furnished by lactansia yeah uh, <laughs> I, I still have some of my home fries from this morning, just staring me, staring at me right there. Fried in butter. Actually, no, no. You know what? They were fried in bacon grease. That's even better. I am the picture of health, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> an argument could be made based on what we just said that you are. Yeah, pretty much. Eh? Um, anyway, so the other story I wanted to get to, and I suppose this is my last story slash the last story of future chat in 2014. Yeah. Uh, Calgary school children. There is a, <sighs> a, a, an epidemic of dental decay. People are getting rotten teeth and some pediatric dentists have come out and said, well, 
we cut fluoride out of the water supply a few years back. And fluoride's great for preventing cavities. And uh, yeah, so glad you cut fluoride out of the water, guys. We tried to tell you. (laughs) Yeah, and the reason fluoride is in water is, uh, I mean, it's added in a few parts per million. So it's pretty negligible. Uh, But like the fluoride in toothpaste, it's uh, the function of like fluoride will complex calcium ions. It will like pick them up and move them around. Mm -hmm. And in large concentrations of fluoride that will like, you know, dissolve bone and stuff like that. But in extremely small quantities that uh, I believe it helps in building teeth and stuff like that. I, if you have any information, jump in. I'm not a dentist, (laughs) but no, I have everything I've heard is indicated. Like it helps, you know, fill in those gaps and stuff like that. Okay. I could be very wrong. I, you're never going to be right in the long term. If you disagree with the overwhelming majority of scientists in any given field, if you, we've, just talked about dentists and fluoride in the water has been shown to be good for you and people take it out and now it's things are going bad we just finished talking about how doctors are now recommending that fat is fine and maybe these vegetable oils aren't necessarily the save all that we thought they were we have talked in many past episodes about climate change we've talked about vaccines people it's okay to agree with scientists that doesn't make you a liberal. <laughs> you can doesn't be conservative and agree with the scientific majority. Well, and I mean, in this case, like the reason they put so much fluoride, the reason you spit out your toothpaste is that it's high in fluoride yeah. and it's high in fluoride because it prevents cavities, but you know, you brush your teeth, you spit it out, you rinse and you're okay after that. But like the reason you don't swallow the fluoride is that once you get it, once you get that high a dose in there, it can start, you know, causing problems. But in the quantities as low as it's as is present in drinking water, it it benefits you. And it's just I get as a as someone trained in chemistry, you get frustrated with the chemophobia that's just yeah. rampant. It's like, oh, they're adding chemicals to this stuff, and how can I be sure that this is safe? Like, it's it's weird and scary, and I don't get it. It's like, so they take it out, and kids start getting dental decay, and scientists go, yeah, well, that's what happens. There's a reason yeah. we did this for so long. Or the MMR vaccine. All of a sudden, people yeah. are... And I mean, they don't understand it and that's okay. But I mean, the internet is great at purveying information, but it's also good at purveying misinformation and a lot of bad information gets out there and people are like, Oh, I don't know. Like these vaccines could have bad effects. And then Suddenly people aren't getting the MMR vaccine and now we have outbreaks of measles, mumps and rubella in North America. Yeah. Exclusively 
Because in places where they've stopped, where people have stopped administering vaccines in their children. Yeah. 20 years ago, it was not an issue. And then we stopped vaccinating our children and we're getting these, we're getting outbreaks of these diseases that we could have stopped. Yeah. And it's, it's sad because I'm sure children have died purely, purely because of misinformation or a lack of willingness to learn. And I think overall as humanity, we're getting better at that, but it's still really prevalent in a lot of places. I think, I think part of the problem with this is that in 2014, we have had it so good for so long that we don't remember why we started doing these things. Yeah. We need to remind people why, (laughs) Well, I mean, you would hope we shouldn't have to, but yeah, I mean, if nothing else, I hope that the, these examples serve as, you know, a reminder. It's like, oh, hey, the reason we put fluoride in drinking water is to prevent cavities. Or the reason we vaccinate for these diseases <laughs> is that people die otherwise. Yeah. It works and yeah. we stop doing it. It will stop working. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good message to end out on. I think. I agree. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we close out for the year? I would like to look at our. Or do we have dozens of loyal listeners? Maybe we have hundreds. I would say. Mm. I want to thank our listeners because. Frankly, I'm shocked they exist. I'm really happy they exist. Yeah. Because I enjoy doing these. Because like I said at the top of the podcast, I I like to believe that given good information, people make good choices. And I like to maybe be a part of the mechanism that gets good information out there. Agreed. I think we're getting better at this too. And that's helping. Yeah. I like to thank you for spearheading the initiative like to thank like to thank all of our special guests like to yeah absolutely they've been fantastic thank mike as a co-head spear yeah (laughs) if you are the uh the spearhead he is the piker yeah our thoughts go out to mike and the bear that had to be put down because it mauled him Yeah. (laughs) My time spent as a bear has given me a special empathy. (laughs) Uh, I was hibernating in March. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we'll end it there. I will say, uh, starting now and into the new year, we are joining a media conglomerate called Unwind Media. Is this a hostile takeover? No, this is a very charitable takeover. Oh, lovely. The opposite of hostile. Benevolent? It's Yeah, I guess. It's it's not so much a takeover. We're just merging into Unwind Media. And so you can find this. You're going to be able to find this show still at futurechat.me as you were before. But you can also go to unwindmedia.com and you'll be able to see some other cool stuff going on with with other people that we like. Awesome. So go check it out. Yeah. 
I guess that's it for the year then. That's Any it for last the year. words, Nick? No. I've thanked the people I wanted to thank. Thank you to those Beautiful. I forgot to thank. And uh, <laughs> I've had so much fun doing this. It's been a great year. As have I. I guess with that, we'll end it and say happy Saturnalia, everyone. Hope you enjoy the winter solstice. It's all getting brighter from here. Yep. All right. See you guys later. Later.